I'm Jonathan Sheffron. I'm here with Jerry Bates, Elder at Grace Community Church, and uh, we're here for episode two for our Glimpsing the Glory of God series. And the title for today is The Incomprehensible God Who Is. So Jerry, why don't you kind of share with us what's on your heart for this one? Okay. Uh, start off with the Apostles' Creed begins with the words, uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty. So the Bible starts with God, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. So above all other matters in the world, uh, the Christian should be longingly and continually uh, seeking to know God. Uh, And the scripture, and we've said this last time, declares that the knowledge of God is the sum of all doctrine and impacts all of life, and we really need to get an understanding of that. Uh, The Bible also assumes the existence of God. It doesn't offer proof just for the sake of proving his his existence, but also it doesn't ignore proof. Uh, For example, the scriptures reflect that they're a moral proof of God because man himself has an innate knowledge of right and wrong. Uh, The New Testament states, as we said last time, that the evidence of God can be seen from creation, from the universe. That's Romans 1, 19 and 20. Uh, we know from that the presence of God. Uh, Acts 14, 15 and 16 talks about the universality of God regarding all men. Um, St. Augustine wrote that the knowledge of God must come before we seek anything from him. And there's a lot of depth in what he's saying in that regard. And he says, in him... In fact, uh, in Christ, effective prayer is grounded uh, in our knowledge of him. And the more deeply we know him, the more powerful and effective the prayer. Mm-hmm. Last time what we said, the more deeply you know him, the more, uh, the better your, and deeper your worship. Now, also, the same is true of prayer. It's sure. in knowing him that your prayer becomes more powerful and more effective. Well, I see that with my children all the time. You know, where if they're asking me for something or interacting with me about something, if they appeal to my character in the request, I am much more likely to grant the request and, and interact with them than if they're just throwing requests without spending time getting mm-hmm. to know how I feel or how I think about something. That's part of the intimacy of relationship. God is mm-hmm. looking for, um, in prayer, He is looking for relationship. Uh, sometimes I think he may delay answering prayer just because it forces us to press in more. And <laughs> yeah. he wants us to be with him more, you mm-hmm. know, to seek him more. Sometimes the process of seeking the answer can be as important as the answer, mm-hmm. uh, if not more so. But in seeking to know him, uh, and we begin with this first uh, great attribute, in seeking to know him, this first great attribute, it really seems like a contradiction of everything we've been saying uh, because the first attribute of God, this this aspect of his glory, is that he's incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cannot be fully comprehended and understood in really in a final and complete sense, and he never will be mm-hmm. on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity. We're never going to be able to fully uh, know him and comprehend him. Uh, Through Isaiah, for example, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. Uh, Isaiah 55 says that. Um, He says, 
my thoughts are my thoughts are more than your thoughts. Uh, Isaiah says, "My thoughts are higher than your thoughts." Is mm-hmm. really what I'm trying to say, and my ways are higher than your ways. Uh, and Paul says in Romans 11, uh, 33 through 36, he says, "Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways." And there's and let me just say there that God's ways cannot be discerned by us very effectively. But never let the ways of God uh, uh, confuse you about the will of God. And I think I think we can look back in time and discern some of God's ways. I think I think looking back in mm-hmm. history, we can yeah. see His movement uh, and Him accomplishing His purposes that we couldn't see in the moment. And there's some other things we still can't explain today, but we do know that God will someday share with right. us what his perspective was and that he had not forgotten his people during some of these times. I think of Joseph as the classic example of here's a guy who was enslaved by his brothers and he traveled to Egypt. And in the moment, Joseph has no understanding why God has allowed this to happen. But See. later, he, he rescues his people through it. And, and so I think there's many times in the moment we don't understand God's ways. But if we'll continue to trust him, then later, looking back on our lives, we can see how God moved. Exactly. And, and, and when you're in the middle of it, uh, you cannot use what he's doing at one given moment to necessarily determine what his will is. In fact, you use Joseph as an example. In mm-hmm. Genesis 37, God told Joseph right off the bat what his will was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he showed him that, number one, that he would rule over his brothers when he had the vision of the sheaves bowing down. Yep. What's interesting about that vision is not only would he rule over his brothers, but it was over the agricultural issue of a famine that caused them to come to him and bow down. Mm-hmm. So he knew exactly what God's will was uh, for his life, but then God's ways seemed to go exactly the opposite of mm-hmm. what his will was. But he learned at the end of the day yeah. that his ways did not necessarily tell you what his will is. They seem to contradict. So you can't judge his will from his ways. And it sounds like when you say that he's incomprehensible, he's mm-hmm. not knowable. But I like how you're really saying, no, he is knowable, but he's incomprehensible at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except that we wouldn't be able to grasp anything other than what we get from general revelation. Right. You know? except that he has chosen to make himself known. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only reason he's noble. But when we say noble, we mean that he can be known uh, in his essential being, not just in his ways with men, but as he really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we get back to John seventeen three. Uh, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Uh, the Apostle Paul at the beginning of one of his prayers in Ephesians. Again, remember we mentioned this before in Ephesians 1.17 that he prayed that we would have uh, a uh, spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So what's significant about that is is that it's necessary for him to ask God for that. Mm-hmm. We don't automatically have revelation. He's asking God to give him revelation mm-hmm. uh, because it has to come from him. God initiates it, but God wants to. God's willing to. In fact, the motivation for God to initiate 
the revelation of himself and disclose himself is love hmm. because he wants the relationship with us. We don't want the relationship. <laughs> he yeah. wants the relationship. Yeah. And so uh, he is the one that initiates by disclosing who he is. Um, Jesus says something interesting in John 17. I think it's very telling. He says, the world has not known you, Father. Hmm. The world thinks the Father is bad news, uh, that he wants to reign. The punisher, the ruler. He's got a pile of bricks with their name on it Mm -hmm. behind his throne, and he's waiting for an opportunity. And Jesus, of course, shows that that's not the way the Father is Mm -hmm. at all. Uh, The world can't know him because they're blind to who he is. But he is willing to be known. He wants to be known. He shows himself to us. Uh, his utter love uh, uh, is the motivation hmm. that causes him to show himself. Uh, and knowing him in ever deeper way, uh, allowing us to know him intimately, uh, is, he's really condescending to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but knowing him in this way really will result with a, a real awe and reverence uh, and it was why Moses had to remove his sandals <laughs> right. at the burning bush. The holy ground. Um, and when you see people who do not display a reverence for God uh, in their attitudes, or particularly that what gives them away is their speech, hmm. what they're showing about themselves is they don't know him. Mm-hmm. If they knew him, they wouldn't say the things they say. They hmm. they would have a reverence. Um, I, I went, Joan and I went to a um, um, monastery one time, a Benedictine monastery up mm-hmm. in Canada, and the monk, we went through a five o'clock um, mass, and the monks were doing their Catholic thing. Now my wife grew up Catholic. Oh, okay. I grew up Protestant. Okay. And uh, the monks were genuflecting, and they were swinging the incense and that sort of thing. And my Protestant roots kind of rose up in me, you know. And I thought to myself, God, this is really hokey. Mm. And the Lord responded to me immediately, and he said, I see it as reverence. Mm. Oops. (laughs) And I started looking at it in a very different light, uh, Mm. that these monks, in all they were doing, no, I don't do those things but what they were doing was they were displaying their reverence for Mm -hmm. him and boy did that turn my thinking around Hmm. Uh, do I agree with all the Catholic doctrine no but I do understand that those men understood the necessity of revering God Mm -hmm. and that's something in our society uh, even in the church that's really missing and what it means is is that we don't know him uh, and that, that is critical sure. to, uh, to where we are now. Well, I just reminded, you know, of the Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira story in the early church. And, and that's a story where, where they did not take God seriously and take him, you know, being honest before God seriously. And, and God said, you know, I, I need people to take me seriously. And they lost their lives because they lied to God. And I'm grateful that he's not done that here at Grace, um, because I think that would hit us all really harshly. But I think it's interesting to see that that really is part of God's nature, is there's a holiness to him and a, and a set-apartness, and we really do need to be careful when we, we ask for God to draw near. We're asking for the God creator of the universe who has ultimate and infinite power, 
who with a mere flick of his fingers cast planets mm-hmm. into the world. That's who we're asking to draw near. And, and there is a, a necessary reverence that needs to happen when that occurs. Let me mention two, two passages uh, just in closing. Um, Psalm 27, 8, David says of the Lord, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, O Lord, your face I will seek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is frequently cited. Mm-hmm. But when you cite that, it, we ought to go on and read the verses after that because they're tied to it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know that the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Mm-hmm. But then verse 12, following it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares Mm -hmm. the Lord. That's good. Well, thank you so much, Jerry.